Welcome to The Collective Tap, conversations about water. I'm your host, Taylor Bennett. We've called this first season The Spigot as we focused our conversations on the water that comes into our homes and the ways we use it. Our field hosts, Taz Walters and Devin Dabney, talk with experts about water quality, the real cost of a green lawn, the impacts of water pollution to our health, and the affordability of this basic resource. For the final episode of this season, we're going to do things a little differently. Our goal with this podcast is to help our community become more conscious of our relationship with this critical resource and take it for granted less often. In this episode, we will hear from someone who unexpectedly lost water service twice in the last two years and how their community came together to overcome the challenges they encountered. Then, join me in a conversation with Taz and Devin to talk about their experience after being challenged by our producers to reduce their own water usage. Knowing what they know now, what changed for them? All this coming up next. Jessica Adams and her husband Jason own Vagabond Pizza in Abilene, Texas. When the region experienced unusually severe winter storms in February of 2021 and 22, Jessica and Jason found themselves, along with the rest of the town, without water access in their home and their restaurant. Taz and Devin talked with Jessica about keeping things running in a town without water. I'm Jessica Adams. My husband Jason and I own a restaurant in Abilene, Texas. Even though Texas is a far away from Indiana, you've had some experiences related to water or I suppose lack thereof in this context. So in February 2021, we had this wild winter storm in Texas, right? Most of the time you think of Texas, you're thinking of hot, right? We are built for heat. We know how to deal with 100 degree temperatures. We're not so great at single digit temperature. And so when we had this freak winter storm at last last year, we weren't ready for it. We didn't have the infrastructure as a state, as communities. Uh, shoot, my own house, right? My house, it's, a, it's called a pier and beam house. I don't have a basement. I don't even have a foundation. My house literally did small stilts, but ultimately set up on stilts. We're, we're built for airflow when it's too warm. So when uh, we've got this winter storm, we're overloading the power grids out here. So uh, power is starting to, with the surge, uh, they, they, cities had to start doing some rolling blackouts. Uh, those blackouts turned out to be a little bit longer uh, because this storm ended up being longer. This wasn't just one day. This was a week of single digits. Again, we're ready for triple digits. Um, so not only did the electricity go out, but with the electricity out for, over, for a week, uh, then our water treatment plants weren't able to process and keep up. And so if, if your water lines weren't frozen, like mine in the Pier and Beam house, uh, then the community still weren't quite sure or, or didn't have the, the infrastructure in place to get water to people, let alone healthy water to people. So yes, living in the United States, we always expect water to be there when we turn on the tap. Uh, and I've got this unique experience, or at least uh, unique in my brain, of what it really was like to, to not have that luxury, that, that convenience that we're so used to. So how long were you without water at your home and at your restaurant? Four days at the house and six days at the restaurant. What was that like to not be able to access water both in your work and at your home? Like, How did it impact you and your business? So for the business, we literally had to shut it down for the whole week. Uh, without water, I can't wash my hands. I 
can't sanitize things. I can't um, use the water in the ingredients to create the food. So for the restaurant, it was not an easy decision, but the only decision to make was just shut it down until power could come back on. And then until we knew the water was safe, uh, we got that clearance from the city. For the home, uh, we had a little bit of heads up. So we were able to um, set some water aside. Um, My home, thankfully, we had power, at least intermittently. uh, And so we were able to boil some water when that did come back on, when the taps or when the pipes unfroze. And ultimately, we ended up doing kind of a a village communal sort of thing. Uh, Some folks in our friend group had power for a little bit. Some folks in the friend group had water for a little bit. Uh, We were also the goofballs that didn't have heat for a little while. That was a fun feature. Uh, So we just kind of traveled and did slumber parties throughout this time. That's uh, really encouraging to hear that you had this uh, community effect happen. I would have thought the opposite would have happened where everyone was just like, ah, it's survival world. It, it was encouraging. It was really interesting to see this city of, of so many folks that, right, we all think we're independent. We all think we can make it on our own. Uh, turns out without heat and water, by golly, we do need each other. <laughs> and so um, I know my friend group wasn't, wasn't isolated in this. And I'm really even in the business community. Folks would, if you had a business at our place, we had food on here in the restaurant, but we weren't able to use it because we were closed down. Okay, well, let's figure out how to get that either. Uh, we started with our employees, right? Like it, if you guys can get out or, or we had a four-wheel pickup, we can get you food because we know the grocery stores don't have a lot right now. And everybody's at the house, right? You know, 2021, we're still figuring out what pandemic life is like. There's still shortages all around. Uh, so we had food. Let's get it to the people that need it. Going without water for four days, six days, you know, that's a pretty significant time. Has that experience changed the way that you prepare for disasters? Do you have a water preparedness plan now? If I was really wise, absolutely. I should have a plan. <laughs> Unfortunately, I uh, we haven't written a plan out, uh, but we do need when the more warnings are, are out. Um we try to have a little more water available instead of just, you know, the, the water bottles at the house are actually for emergencies, not just because oh, they're seen and didn't want to go to the tap. Uh, no, that, that's the sort of stuff you set aside in case the tap isn't running. We alluded that the, the big storm was February 2021. Uh, we had a similar situation in January and February again this year in 2022, uh, not as prolonged but the temperatures did dip again. Uh, and so, all right, we've, we've done this before. Let's learn from how we experienced it last time. Let's set aside some of those, wa- some water, set aside some provisions uh, and make sure we've got buckets. So if it snows, we can bring that in the house to melt the water. In the vein of what Taz just asked, I'm curious, has this changed your outlook on water in general and our water systems? It certainly gives you a new appreciation, right, it, for our water systems experiencing not having that that water. We take it for granted that when I turn on the tap, water comes out, whether I'm washing my hands, whether I'm taking a shower, whether I need to drink, whether I'm thirsty. Uh, and so when it's not there just as quickly as we expect it, it is an interesting reminder that so many people, this isn't how they exist, that water is a scarce resource for so many people some here in our own country, certainly around the world. It's an an appreciation of what we take for granted. 
you know, in the course of me and Taz doing these interviews, I think my perspective on it has changed a lot too. And in the sense of honestly being worried that in the future that it won't be as easy to come across, you know, when you go to a restaurant, like water is free, you know, they will give you a cup of water. And I'm just thinking like in 50 years, am I going to be telling, you know, the children like, yeah, they used to give water away for free. Well, and we're, we are experiencing droughts again. And so out here, um, I, so Abilene, Texas, for a little bit of context, we're not on the east side of the state near the metroplexes near Dallas or Houston. We're not all the way out on the far west side of the state in, in the panhandle. It's not totally a desert here. Uh, but water, getting water to our town isn't just a super simple thing. I've gotten to know uh, some of our, our community officials and our city officials, how they look at bringing water to this community. We don't have a big lake. Uh, and so how the water comes to us uh, and when we're talking about droughts and how much water do we have in reserves? Uh, in 2010, 2011, um, big droughts, right? Wildfires were getting kind of crazy because it was so dry. And, and our community was trying to negotiate with other communities. How do we, do, do you guys have water? Do How do we get some of that? Our reservoirs were down in the 10 and 11 percent. Um, right now, thankfully, after a few more years of rain and, and some of those negotiations and those contracts and different treatments, we're back in the 70 percent on those reservoirs. Uh, but when your officials are going, we maybe have three weeks of water. Um, and then, and then having this winter storm and experiencing what, what it really means to not have water. Um, it, it is kind of an interesting, how do we expect, what do we expect in the future? Are we making the right choices to conserve water and make sure it is available when we're needing it? With your personal experience, what you went through, do you have any advice for people who might be facing some similar situations, like lessons you learned through this? Take away from our experience, it did go back to that community, right? How do we take care of each other? A friend of mine, she was the the one that was the furthest out in the in the preparation. And so um, when we went to go pick up her and her family and, and the dogs, she had already been boiling water and making sure that she had some reserves. And, and that's where we, we did have that little bit of foresight that we knew this storm was coming. We just weren't sure how long it was going to last. So the preparation did matter. Uh, it felt a little silly on the first day and we were really thankful by the third day. So taking care of each other and then heeding the advice of the professionals, right? When we hear these warnings that that maybe there is something coming towards us, taking it and and making that warning actionable instead of just fearful, um, right? And sometimes that's in the delivery of the message uh, and we can't necessarily change that, but we can do our best to heed the message uh, and, and do our best to take care of our family. Were there any things that you found yourself really surprised about when you didn't have access to water? Like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize I was using water for this or that. The toilets, flushing the toilets became a really, there was strategy to it. All right. <laughs> and that was, we were, again, winter storms, we had the snow outside. We were bringing the snow in. We, had, we were boiling the snow on a regular basis. And the bulk of that wasn't for our own consumption. It was to fill up the water tanks and the toilets. So we didn't, while we also weren't bathing, right? We weren't being hygienic necessarily, uh, but we didn't particularly want the, that wafting aroma about the house. So uh, yeah, the toilets were the one that, that at least we still chuckle about now. All the energy we spent during those days was somebody was, was on snow detail to make sure we had brought some in and we were melting it down. So we had toilet water. 
Yeah. And that's a, I think that's a, a lot more water than people may realize, you know, that goes in your tank. That's multiple gallons of water, which is a lot of snow. A lot of snow. <laughs> like a lot of snow. <laughs> I'm just curious, going back to like the impact of the storm, how long do you feel like it took you as an individual and you as a business to recover from the impacts of being without water for so long? We were very thankful right when the temperature started to rise uh, it did it was surprising for a lot of our at least our community here in Abilene um, again we, we lost power and water for the bulk of our, our group so power came back first but then the water treatment plants still needed to get their power and get, and get their operations back going so the water return was still several days before we had that uh, and so I think we took for granted a little bit that all of a sudden, okay, well, our, our utilities are back. Our infrastructure must be fine, uh, except we still didn't have that access to what we thought was normal. When it came back, of course, then we were very thankful, but so many people hadn't washed their clothes, hadn't taken a shower, hadn't run the dishwasher. Uh, and so then we had this surge in water usage and immediately our, the, the officials and the experts were asking us, guys, pump the brakes, right? Like just because you can doesn't mean you should right now. We haven't refilled these tanks. We don't have our reserves back. And so there was there was a couple adjustment periods for us of you know where where our normal was, what we expected, existing in that spot where we didn't have it, existing in the spot where we had water coming out of the faucets, but maybe it wasn't safe for consumption. Uh, and then what do we do? What are, are we taking? Are we just being selfish in trying? Okay, it's back, so we've got to use all of it. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, as great as this community was that we had right off the bat, well, but all my things haven't been taken care of. And so then um, these, these beautiful little communities started getting really selfish. Like, they, can, they can let their laundry wait. I've got mine to do. <laughs> and so it, it did take us a little bit to figure out how to get back to the community part of it. I do know the community, though, ha has seemed to be, uh, as a whole, um, better at making preparations, right? Our, our uh, infrastructure and the experts that work in those fields have done more to make sure uh, or to prepare, right? It, it, so that if these warnings come out again, we've got either backups, we've got reserves, we've got new plans in place to make sure that it isn't such a big effect on the community going forward. Losing access to water can be a frightening and even dangerous situation. We couldn't ask Taz and Devin to take things too far, but they did agree to see how much they could cut back on their own water use. We established a baseline and measured the change using a free calculator at watercalculator.org. There's a link on our website if you'd like to learn more about your own usage. I talked to them about their experience and what they learned making this season of the Collective Tap. Well, Taz and Devin, hello. It's nice to be able to chat with both of you. you. You've had some very interesting conversations with uh, state and national experts on some various topics, all connected to water during this season of the Collective Tap. Did you ever think that you would discuss this much about water before? No. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I think the thing about it is I am thinking about water. I am talking about water in a way that I just never have before. It's definitely something that I have taken for granted throughout my life, which is interesting because I've always been for the past 10 years involved with like environmental causes, but water just wasn't something that was on my radar. Devin, what was some of your expectations going into this first season of the podcast? 
I was going into this knowing that, you know, I'm somebody who cares a lot about water and natural resources, but I don't know as much as I'd like. You know, um, I studied landscape architecture in school. So very early on, I learned, you know, the importance of conservation and and also being a, a rock climber and someone who loves the outdoors. Obviously, all this is very important to me. But yeah, I, I came into it thinking that I was going to learn a lot. <laughs> and obviously, I have learned a lot, but I've learned things that I didn't, I didn't even know that I didn't know, if that makes sense. You know, I mean, yeah. there, there's just so much, there's so much that we use water for that we don't even think about at this point. And, and, you know, I say that as being someone who was pretty conscious of my water use before we started this podcast. So it's been really eye-opening, you know, the things that I didn't realize I was using water for and just such a vast world, so much to learn about water. There were a lot of different topics. Did anything surprise you? Uh, There's a lot of Uh fecal matter. Just every episode, it feels like no matter what we're talking about, that comes up either animal waste or human waste. We cannot get away from it. And here I am bringing it up again. So it is also (laughs) my fault. Where? I mean, where did you find out? Okay, there's a lot of this in the water. And did that surprise you? Listening to some of our, the water treatment facilities about how much like E. coli there is in our water. And and I think what's most surprising to me is it's 2022. (laughs) It seems like we should have this figured out by now. And it's still a problem. One of our first guests, Dr. Thomas Duzinski, he was talking about kind of the history of sanitation and how like going way back, like ancient Romans, like number one, clean water, clean sewers. And like, we're still there. We're still grappling with those problems of having clean water and places for our sewage to go. What about you, Devin? Were you surprised by anything? The one thing that did surprise me, we were talking about, you know, lawn watering and the cost. And I was sure that the use of water to water your lawn was going to not only tax the environment, but make water more expensive. And it is uh, not surprising, but even if you don't have a green lawn or you don't water, it still ends up something you pay for. Like you're paying for other people to use the resource. You know, when I came into this, I was thinking about it a lot from a from an equity perspective of like what systems are in place that we've been using historically for water that affect certain people more than others. And that was one that I was pretty um, shocked to find out. Another thing, even just the way that treatment plants make water safe to drink. I don't know, in my head, I pictured it like, you know, you take a sample of water and they run it through some machine and they're able to tell you everything that's in the water, like the breakdown chemically, but that's not even necessarily how it works. They're they're not going in and eliminating everything from the water. They're going and taking certain things from the water. That's just like a subtle nuance that I didn't know that totally changes how I look at the way we treat our water. You know, I think a lot of people might be surprised by a lot of the information that they they do hear in this podcast. And I have heard that this could be our next global crisis is, is water. What do both of you think about that? Do you think after all the interviews that you've conducted for the podcast that this is a very real possibility that this could be a global crisis? I'm already having nightmares <laughs> about it. I mean, I can't, it's something I've thought about, of course, previously, but now every single day, like every time I turn on a faucet, I'm like, 
in 50 years, like, am I going to be able to do this this easily? Or, you know, when I go to the gym and I drink from a water fountain, in in 50 years, am I going to be telling my grandkids like, yeah, there used to be just water fountains where you could just drink water for free. I don't know. I try not to be a doomsday person. I really think it's important to have hope. But I really do think water is going to be the next big thing that is like a precious resource that we're going to be fighting over or trying to figure out how to distribute because right now we're treating it like it just it's infinite. And then what's going to happen when we only have so much clean water and people that are used to just turning their tap on and just letting it run like you can't do that anymore. Yeah. And I would say funny enough, I think I'm kind of on the opposite side of that now, Devin. I think (laughs) I think I. I tend to be really anxious about things. And and I did come into this podcast expecting to find out a lot about water and find out, oh, there's a lot to be scared about. But as I've been learning and like listening to experts, it's really reassuring to me that there's already a lot of really smart people thinking about this and that we can do our part to like further that conversation. And even through this podcast itself, like getting this information out to people and like helping people understand that it is a concern and that we should be doing things now in order to help mitigate the effects in the future. I was reading a book called Saving Us, a climate scientist case for hope and healing in a divided world. And one thing that the author talked about a lot was the idea of resiliency and building community um, so that when climate change continues to happen, that we'll already have systems in place to help deal with the worst effects. And I think that like a lot of the things we've learned about are really ways to build resiliency and community. I mean, even when we were talking with Michael Payton from Greenscape Geeks, something as simple as like building a rain garden in your yard, like that's a way to build resiliency here and now. I think a lot of people probably maybe wonder what can they do? What can they do to help this? What can they do maybe to cut back on water? And I thought it was very interesting that you both had an opportunity to conduct a little experiment where you tried to reduce your own water use. How long did you do that? So we both, um, I'm kind of speaking for Taz, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we both did it for two days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both went about it a little differently, but my way of thinking of it was I tried to on the first day, just measure, you know, my water usage and, um, and see what I was doing. And then on the second day, I tried to cut back on those things. It, uh, (laughs) it was really interesting one, because I learned that a lot of what I do is already pretty conservative of water. So it it was actually kind of hard to cut back more. The, the, one of the easiest, what I thought was going to be an easy win was showering for less time. I was like, I'm going to see how long I shower and then I'm going to cut it down to five minutes because five minutes isn't that long. But on the first day, I showered as long as I normally do and it was six minutes. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, I'm not really good. <laughs> I'm not really going to change that much. It's just the, I mean, it's still saving some water, but it was just so small of a change that it just, it didn't feel significant. But on the opposite side of that, I did use this water calculator and I learned that over three quarters of my water usage comes from eating meat once a day, just once a day. You know, I don't eat meat with every meal. I sometimes don't even eat it on certain days, but just eating meat once a day made more than three quarters of my water usage. Like it was 
all my daily activities and drinking and flushing toilets times three, just eating meat once a day. If we just take my per day usage of an average week of water, I use about 351 gallons. And that's counting everything. That's counting showers, it's counting drinking, flushing toilets, driving a car, electricity, all that. That's before. And then when you added in eating meat, that went up to 1,119 gallons (laughs) of water being used. So You're talking about almost 800 gallons of water a day for just eating meat once. I think sometimes when we think about conserving water, we get focused on the wrong things or we try to like only flush the toilet this many times or only shower for this long. When in reality, it's like this other thing that we're not even thinking of that's taking up so much of our water, but we just don't know. Did you change any habits after that experiment? So are you deciding now not to eat meat as much or not take as long shower? Did that really make you change any habits? The main thing that it's made me reconsider or change is just how often I eat meat, even with, Mm. you know, just once a day. It just makes me more aware. This is my personal opinion. But I think whenever we talk about conservation, I, I really try not to punish myself too much because really like a lot of environmental issues are bigger than just individuals. I think we sometimes focus too much on us, you know, main character energy, but really it's more about getting together and sharing knowledge. Uh, But definitely now when I eat meat, I'm just more aware that it does have a huge impact. I I don't want to say that I'm going to go vegetarian or vegan, but I just If I am going to choose to eat meat, I need to be more aware of how I can bring down my usage on the environment and how I can make it a more sustainable practice. Taz, how was the experiment for you? It was interesting. Similarly to Devin, I was kind of surprised at how little water I already used just by accident through not thinking about it. The first day I spent measuring my water usage and and then I calculated it all up and realized oh, the amount of water I use today is actually under the amount of water that this water calculator had given me. So when I did the water calculator, it told me that I usually use about 1,400 gallons a day as an individual. And when I calculated my usage, I came in around 1,000 gallons, which you know could be due to errors or just little variances. But when I looked at all of the things that I did in the day, it was really difficult to find ways to reduce my usage. And part of that is because I live out in the country. I live in a rural area. I have to drive. I I can't not drive places, which gasoline takes a lot of water to produce. I have to go to the grocery store and the grocery store that I go to, it is a rural grocery store. It doesn't have as much availability of plant-based foods. It has some, but not a lot. Um, And even like the electricity that I have to use, my electric company, they don't have any solar electricity, which I know there are some providers who you can say all of my energy has to come from green sources. I don't have that option with my power company. So really the biggest ways that I'm using water in my daily life are kind of out of my control. (laughs) So because of that, I decided that instead of trying to cut back on my water usage, that I was going to spend the day doing actions that could help improve water quality or maybe move the needle a little bit. So I cleaned out my gutters so that (laughs) the water is going back into the ground in the way it's supposed to. And that I'm actually capturing it in the rain barrel that I have. I um, picked up poop in my yard. Um, Again, I'm 
and just give me the person who talks about poop and I'm sorry, but I, I picked up my dog's leavings because that's something that I'm kind of lazy about. Cause I live in the country, you know, nobody sees it, but me. So I did, I went out there and pooper scoopered for like an hour. <laughs> and then I went inside and I sat down and I emailed every single one of my representatives. And I said, I care about clean water. Um, I've been learning about confined feed operations. And whenever you see legislation about this, um, please support regulation that makes sense and that actually keeps poop out of our water. (laughs) Now, the next season of the Collective Tap will examine the role of water in food production. Like you mentioned, like from farming to large commercial bottling plants. Can uh, you give us a sneak peek at what we might learn? Yeah, definitely. So actually just what I mentioned about Mm -hmm. um, confined animal feedlots. um, We learned a lot about livestock. We learned a lot about different manufacturers here in Indiana and how they are actually like really thoughtful and they're really paying attention to where they get their water from. We had a guest from Ingredion recently, and that was really interesting to hear how they are really paying attention. And I think that's just such a hopeful thing. I think the challenge we have is just trying to get people to understand that the goal is not to never use water ever. It's just to introduce a piece of, you know, how we develop agriculture. We want to conserve water and we want it to be more of a like, how can we do what we're doing now? Like feed people, keep people's jobs but also treat this resource with the respect that it deserves and frankly needs so that we can keep using it. Um, And like Taz said, it's been really cool and actually kind of surprising that, you know, these people that are working in these fields are actually thinking about it already. I I think it's really important to, to make it less polarizing. We can use water and also protect it. Do you think that people are listening? Do you think that businesses are, are listening to this? Taz, you mentioned that, you know, you, you wrote to your legislators and, and brought that to their attention. Do you think that that is something that can help? We'll see. Something we've heard people say over and over again is we have to address it. We can't not address it. Things are changing. Water, our water future is not secure and we have to address it. To underline what you're saying, we all need water. We can't not address it because if we don't have water, then the companies can't survive. Everything that grows needs water, even businesses, you know. (laughs) So I'm going to go back to this again of this idea of not just focusing on what we as individuals can do, but just giving people the knowledge. You know, that's why this podcast is so important, in my opinion, is just giving people this knowledge. They're going to naturally care about their water. And the more we can educate and share what we're learning Uh, the more we'll all come together. And, you know, it won't just be Taz writing a letter to the representatives. It'll be hundreds of people, thousands of people. We as a community getting together and caring about it, it's going to make a change. Well, it definitely was a very informative and eye-opening first season of the Collective Tab. You both agree? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I hope that everyone enjoys it as much as I did. I felt really lucky to be having all those conversations and legitimately like learning. I feel like I got to do something really special and it's just cool to be able to share it with everyone else. I keep saying that I'm not a water expert. I'm a person off the street, but there is this feeling that at the end of this podcast that I kind of will be a water expert. I kind of will know stuff about water because of all of these amazing people that we're getting to talk to and the information that they are able to share. Thank you for joining us on the first season of The Collective Tap. We hope our conversations inspired you to think differently about the role water plays in your daily life. 
Season two of The Collective Tap will look at the many ways that water is interwoven with the production of food and beverages in Indiana. At the commercial level, this includes corporations such as Coca-Cola and Ingredion. At the local level, we speak with the folks producing some of our favorite beer, ciders, and spirits. And of course, we will get deep into agriculture, climate change, and the many ways that farming depends on and impacts water resources. The Collective Tap is a project of the White River Alliance, a 501c3 organization located in Indianapolis, Indiana. We are an alliance of diverse interests and in organizations that work together to steward the river and its watershed. It is made possible with generous funding from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. If you want to learn more, visit us at thecollectivetap.com or at thewhiteriveralliance.org. Produced in partnership with Absorb.